This is Resilience 104.4 FM. Flipping marvellous. And uh, it's Literary London. I'm Nick Hennigan, and we're at the Edinburgh Festival for another orgy of art with a great talent. And I'm joined outside now. We're in the uh, Assembly Gardens, literally outside. It's just stopped raining, so we're, we're going to hope that we're all right for a few minutes with uh, Tim Marriott. Hello, Tim. Hi, how are you doing? That good, thank you. I mean, it's thank you for the chat and for the time and everything. And also, thank you for your brilliant show that I came and saw today called Shell Shock. Um, we'll talk about the show in a minute, but just talk about yourself because solo performers, one, sort of terrify me the thought of doing it, um, uh, but two, they do it really, really well. And you did a brilliant job today with this particular production. You're, you're, very, you're very, very kind. No. Um, a solo performance is something I, I've always said I would never do. Um, I've, I've always been. Well, two things. One, I, 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 I'm terrified of, of doing such a, of, of such thing, taking on such an enormous thing. I mean, and for me, theatre is all about relationships on stage, um, and it didn't really occur to me that you can kind of do that with a relationship with the audience. Um, and so it came, it came to me by chance. This piece, this particular piece, and I said it's something I'd, I never thought I'd do. And it is. You're right. It is absolutely terrifying. The first time I did Shell Shock was in Adelaide, um, off book. It was in Adelaide in 2018. And uh, luckily, I was—I uh, had the great Guy Masterson in the audience cheering me on, um, who, who, who was very kind and, and supportive, and uh, and helped me through those 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 first couple of weeks. And he is a very very experienced, many people will know, solo performer, and his tips and guidance was was invaluable. Because he obviously, I, I know Guy very well, having adapted and directed him in a Christmas Carol, which is currently doing the doing the doing the doing the sources now. The, 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 um, but you, you, cause did you train as an actor initially? Yeah, I went to university, did English literature at university, and and couldn't get rid of the acting bug, um, much as my family might have liked me to do. And uh, so I went to the Webber Douglas, which doesn't exist anymore, oh. drama school. And um, from there, I kind of fell into. I had a um, a skiing injury uh, in my last term, uh, which kind of put paid to acting for a bit. I had a a, a brain injury that uh, kept me out of action for a while. Um, so I I started off in stage management, and that kind of led to directing and producing stuff. Um, and then. Uh, I, I got offered a, 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 a tour um, doing a bit of comedy and uh, drifted into the world of comedy and found myself in a sitcom in the 1990s, uh, which was fantastic and, and looked after. It was called The Britass Empire and was, was lovely to do, and really lovely people in the cast. And it was uh, fantastic to do that for a while. Um, what was your character in it? My, I played uh, Gavin, who was one half of Tim and Gavin, um, uh, and that was, that was really pretty groundbreaking at the time. Um, it was, I loved it, I thought it was brilliant. Well, a, a, an openly gay couple in a sitcom was something that didn't see an awful lot of in the 1990s. Um, but it kind of led me into a path of, of panto and summer season and touring Whoops Vicar, Where My Charles Has Gone, Farces type thing. And, um, and I, that wasn't making me terribly happy. And, uh, and so I got out and went into the world of education and spent 17 years in the world of education doing... Uh, uh, I ran a little venue as well um, as part of the, of the college they had a, a 200 seat venue there so I ran that which was great and was able to program some of my mates in to do shows which was really good fun <laughs> and then in 2017-2018 I got a commission I did a bit of writing uh, you know writing stuff for mates or helping people do stuff and I got a commission to adapt this soldier's diary this fantastic soldier's diary um, about his about not having a problem about him coming out of service after a long service career and having no problems at all it's just the rest of the world has a problem and I thought that was a really unique way of, of approaching post-service life and, and not, you know, doing lots of flashbacks to, to Afghanistan and that kind of thing, but actually discussing or getting into the difficulties 
of transition and, and, and putting that on stage as an identification piece. Um, and that was really, really appealing. And I wrote it for one actor who was brilliant and came up here in 2017 and, and did a, a limited run of it and was fabulous. But he um, moved on. I got another actor to take it over. And that actor moved on three days before a gig to 300 veterans in Exeter. Uh, ouch. <laughs> ouch, yeah. So I had no choice really but to pick up the script and do it myself. And, uh, and I've been doing it ever since and it's been really kind to me. It's taken me all over the world. It took me to Australia in uh, 2018, uh, it took me to Adelaide first with, with Guy and then it took me to um, uh, back to Australia in October to do a 22 city tour and then into Sydney alongside the Invictus Games which was an incredible experience. Uh, and, uh, and now I'm kind of reviving it here um, for a week at, at the Edinburgh Fringe, which is fantastic, and you were very kind to come and see it and be so so supportive of it. Thank you. Oh no, it's brilliant. I mean, because I, I, mean, I, I think you actually said to me last night, you're going, well, the name Shell Shock, uh, in some sense, doesn't lend itself to a fantastic time. But what I really liked about it was exactly that: the way you presented the character, his warmth and normality, is actually kind of what drives the drama a little bit. How, so, how, how did you come to adapt? the book in the first place what's because you, you know the, the character that yes. the real character the, the real man himself Neil Blower Watkin um, who wrote it and, and again what's unusual about it is he didn't write it as his memoir he didn't write it as te him telling his sad story which lots of people do and there's and there's a, a very good reason that people do that and some of that kind of work can be be absolutely riveting but what was different about about his work about Neil's work was he wrote it as Tommy Atkins he wanted it to be generic he wanted the piece not just to speak to anybody who's been in service in military service about their uh, experience of coping with post-traumatic stress um, or not realizing that they have post-traumatic stress but he wanted it to go beyond that to, to appeal beyond the military community to anybody who's ever experienced stress and and trauma of which basically um, it's all of us really isn't it <laughs> and, uh, and, and that really appealed to me to, to do that and the other thing was the humor in the guy the guy the guy is and I've met him and, and several times now and and the thing that really draws you to him is is his humanity and his warmth and 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 the humor and uh, and, and that's what the army are brilliant at. They're brilliant at finding humour in the darkest places. And, and it's lovely today. You, you, the audience I had today were, really went with it and, and, and really got that roller coaster ride <coughs> of, we, of, of, of the humour balanced with the, with, with the tragedy that he faces of his life falling apart uh, on the stage. Um, and, and it was really exciting to do. And the other thing, I don't want no spoiler alert here, but um, should, the um, <coughs> other thing that really appealed to me about the book, because I was given the book, and it describes how he's going to finish things. And it's, it's brutal and it's horrible. He describes about what he's going to do. And you're reading it and you, think, and you forget. Of course, he's written this diary, so he can't have actually done it. You forget that. And you turn the page and there's a blank page. And you turn another page and there's a blank page. You turn the third page and it says, I couldn't do it. And I thought that was, that's great. That's just, that's, that's drama gold dust, isn't it? It was a beautiful moment. I mean, it was... Well, you all started applauding because you thought it yeah. was the end. Everyone thought that was it. Yeah. No, 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 no. And I've kind of kind of given the game away a little bit there. But uh, but I think it's important for people to know that when I do this piece, and it, I, the title Shell Shock was the title of his book, so I can't change that. But it is slightly misleading because people think they're going to see something that's deeply gloomy and very, very First World War orientated. And it's not. It's con And it's contemporary and it's very light in, in, in various moments. 
and it ends on a message of resilience and recovery and that's really really important and Neil himself is the epitome of resilience and recovery he's he's gone from that situation that I've just described um, to being a paramedic he's got himself qualified as para paramedic and and on the day that I opened at the at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2018 he um, he messaged me to say um, uh, 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 he just qualified as a paramedic and he messaged me to say half an hour before Kirk went up I got this text from him saying good luck on your opening night mate I just want you to know that today I saved my first life and uh, that to me just says so much not just about him but about the ability for all of us to reinvent and, 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 and find that resilience within us to, to recover and move on and rebuild. And it's even more poignant was it because we know and again I'm not spoiling anything we know that he killed people as part of his job as a soldier. Yes uh, and, and, and that's that was a really poignant moment. I was sitting over dinner with him and, he's, and he talked about that and he talked about the faces that, that haunt him to this day and that's part of his thing and then he just you know he said um he talked about the, the number of people he's killed and he just went very, very quiet for a second, dropped his head and very, very quietly under his breath said, 11. And that was, I, I, I mean, there's chills in the back of my neck telling you that now. Yeah. It was an extraordinary moment to find myself talking to somebody who's been through that experience. And he had, he had no choice. I mean, that was what he was there to do. And, and people were, these people were attacking him and trying to, trying to, wipe him out so you know he was responding to that but it's um yeah it's it's a pretty heavyweight stuff that uh, but the fact that it flips the diary itself and i do that on the stage flips from that moment to a moment of of farce uh in his life because uh, that happens to all of us the absurdities of everyday life are sometimes farcical and they're sometimes counterbalanced by moments of great tragedy and to put that on stage is i hope a slice of humanity yeah, I mean, it works. It works very well. Is that, as it is a very human story, as I say. I wasn't quite sure myself whether I was going <coughs> to, excuse me, watch a, uh, you know, a, a, it's, it's, I mean, the, yes, it's not really a wartime story. As you say, it's about survival. No, no, and again, just, that, that's kind of what makes it different, is yeah. it's about post-war. It's about after service. And, and I say, you know, there, there are, um, I've seen shows where, you know, a, a young, excitable cast will reenact uh, the battle scene, you know, on stage. And it's, it's not, that's not what we do. It's, it's basic storytelling. It's just, it's just me on stage chatting away and with the audience and actually engaging the audience, getting them to talk back to me from time to time as well. Yeah, you do that really well. And I say it's the warmth of the character that came across as well. Different accent. Love. Different accent. It's acting, uh, isn't it? <laughs> well, I have, I have, yeah, that's different accent because uh, Neil is from Salford. Um, near Manchester uh, and, and I can't be terribly exact about that but I do have family from Skipton uh, which is on the Yorkshire Lancashire border and, and so it's quite natural for me to slip into that you know I, I don't find it very hard to go into that because you know I'm quite used to you know I spend time up there and I find myself talking like that anyway uh, the really th interesting thing about that is that when I've done military shows I mean there was a show I did for the Royal Engineers and 25 of the Royal Engineers took me out for a, to a Gurkha restaurant for an Indian meal uh, to do a bit of a Q&A and there's a guy sitting next to me a really a sergeant sitting next to me a really really good bloke sitting next to me and, and the first question comes in and I answer it now like I'm answering this and he turns to his mate and he said crikey he's a bloody Rupert <laughs> which means if you don't know means an officer and I realised of course that because I talked like this because I talked with my so I had to go oh no mate sorry no it's my actor voice no no ignore that it's just me being poncy no so I had, to, I, sp I had to spend the whole evening being Tommy you know because that way you could and, and you forget that, that 
when one's been trained to speak properly and well oh, properly I don't know whether it's properly or not but when one's been trained to speak with an RP accent that it can sometimes put people off you know so it was uh, that was a real lesson <laughs> well, I know Webber Douglas my partner went there actually and Ralph Jager who used to run it occasionally used to bump into him Webber Douglas Academy it yeah. was in uh, in uh, um, uh, in Kensington, wasn't it? South Kensington. Yes. And and what did did you always want to be an actor? Did, were you always going to go and train? Yeah, I think. What was uh, childhood like? Child. I was sent away to boarding school at a very young age because my two older brothers went, um, uh, and and I think that, that was pretty impactful. Uh, and I think that made me. I was very small, uh, badly asthmatic, uh, and a bit of a target probably for some people. Um, and I was bright, uh, so I got pushed up a year group as well. Um, and that, that, uh, that brought a certain amount of, of problems as well. So I probably had to shout pretty loud to be heard. And I probably found that uh, affirmation was difficult to achieve. And, and, um, uh, and I, maybe that's what drove me to it, I don't know. But I, 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 I was quite a shy child. Uh, I'm quite shy talking to you now, which is why I'm probably stuttering quite a bit. Um, <laughs> um, I find it difficult talking in this kind of situation but I, and, and going on stage allowed me to be somebody else to adopt a different persona and I was fascinated with the communication element with, with the ability to I've discovered that I was able to to tell a story um, in one way or another and I was fascinated by that and then the fact that I did English literature at university and A level and and was completely absorbed by Shakespeare and and, um, and, and Hamlet in particular uh, and then going to do English literature. So it's not just the, the thrill of being on stage and, and that ability to put a mask on, but also text into action and you know, analysing a text, working out what the text is, and then finding a way to make it speak to a modern audience uh, when you're working with Shakespeare. It's really, so I know it's something you've done very, very well because I've seen your work. Um, and, 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 and that's a fascination, isn't it? Trying to, trying to make a, a, an ancient text speak again um, because it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's some good stuff in there, isn't there, really? Uh, I'm Nick Hennigan, talking to Tim Marriott, who is actor, performer. We're at the Edinburgh Festival. We're outside as well. We're in the Assembly Rooms uh, garden. Uh, yes, we are in Assembly Rooms. That's right. It's the Assembly Rooms garden. So if you can hear a bit of wind noise, that's because it's a bit windy, isn't it? Right. Um, how, have you, how, did you, how did you find lockdown? Uh, I'm asking most people that. How, did, how was it? Well, lockdown for anybody who's a live performer is pretty brutal. Uh, when I came back into the business after teaching, I didn't have an agent. I still don't have an agent. I uh, work for myself. Uh, I, so it, there's no opportunity for me to go and do television or, or commercials or anything of that kind of actor type work. I don't really see myself as an actor. I see myself as a theatre maker and storyteller. So, so that meant I had very limited opportunities. But, but... Um, the, uh, my project manager, Ryan Gearing, who's very brilliant, who came to me with the, uh, the original book, Neil's book, and asked me to adapt it, came up with this brilliant idea of talking to the, uh, to the NHS Armed Forces Network about making a film version of it. And we got uh, grant funding. They thought the NHS thought that was a brilliant idea, the people we spoke to. And uh, a couple of charities, other charities, got, in, got involved and funded me to make a, a vlog. It wasn't, I wouldn't say it's a movie. It's a vlog. It's like a video diary, um, and the conceit is, of course, that you know when somebody does a video diary, they hold the phone. But I didn't hold the phone. We had a professional camera crew holding, holding an iPhone and, and, and a proper sound recordist. Um, so it was it was it was kind of done a little a little more 
more upbeat than upmarket than, 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 than a simple vlog. Um, but it, it did give it authenticity, um, doing it that way. And, uh, and that had a life for a while through the first lockdown. So the first lockdown was pretty good. Uh, and the weather I, was good as well, wasn't and it? And the weather help. was great, yeah. <laughs> and I made another piece. Um, I went on a, a holiday to Switzerland and went to Meiringen, which is where the Reichenbach Falls are, uh, where uh, Sherlock Holmes famously fell to his apparent end in the arms of Moriarty. And that story has always fascinated me. And it struck us over dinner, we were talking about it, that maybe it would be a good idea to tell that story from Watson's perspective. And that's what I'm doing next week. Yes, I was about to come to that. That's your new, so, your new production. Yeah, so that, so that kept me busy in the first lockdown, was developing that script. And we couldn't perform it, so we made an audio recording of it um, and put that out for people to listen to, which seemed to go everyone, seemed to encourage us into wanting to make a theatre piece. And that premieres at the Ed Fringe next week. And what, what, what happens after that, hopefully? I mean, you, presumably you hope it goes well. Will you, are there plans to tour? What, what's the theatre sort of landscape like at the moment? I mean, here we are in August 2021, hopefully, inshallah, it's going to get a lot better as we go forward. But how, how do you think things are? Well, I think things are beginning to open up. It's, every venue is different, but I've, I, I have got some bookings, um, quite a few actually. And Shellshock, I, can continue, I continue to do Shellshock. I do um, behind-the-wire performances. I go into the into military centres and perform to soldiers uh, as part of a mental fitness training programme, uh, which is really good. So what we do is we do the performance and we follow it with a Q and A Q&A panel. Um, so that's been great. I, I also do that in a few theatre venues. But Watson, I think, has has real life for a theatre tour and there are a few venues who've, who've shown interest in that. I'm trying to think where I'm going. I'm going to Bath, I'm going to Petworth, Petworth Festival in uh, Fringe Festival in September uh, with uh, that and another piece, another piece. I, you can't hold me down, I'm afraid. I feel like I've got time. I've, I've, you know, I, I've got to catch up because I've been out of the business seventeen. So I do another piece called Waiting for Hamlet, which is a comedy two-hander, which I performed with a wonderful, wonderful comedy actor you know called Nicholas Collett. Um, and me and Nick do Old King Hamlet and Yorick. And we've got a few gigs with that as well. So we're doing Petworth with both that and Watson. And then we're doing the Rondo in Bath with both plays. Uh, and as I say, I've got a few shell shocks to do. Uh, and I'm talking to a London venue at the moment about um, a possible run of Watson in town, which would be really nice. That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? I mean, so what, what generally, without giving too much away, is the, is the, the premise of the, the Watson story, your, your Watson story. I, I mentioned this as well because there was a, a lovely woman uh, who wrote the film Tron. He's obsessed with Sherlock Holmes. She's moved over here. She's, there's an interview, in fact, I'll promote it on here. But if you go back in, uh, to uh, bohemianbritain.com, this new website we've just launched, uh, there's a, a video of her talking about her love for Sherlock Holmes. And the fact, I say she's moved to London almost because of it. So she'd be fascinated. I'm, yeah. I must, I must look that up. Yeah. Oh, so, what, and what's the, so what's the story? You know, what's your take on what's well, and what happens without giving too much away, obviously? Well, the link between the two shows is they're both old soldiers. They're both Afghanistan veterans. Um, oh, of course. Yeah. People don't, don't always remember about Watson. He was shot twice in Afghanistan. Uh, he's a survivor of typhoid fever. And by the time we joined him in 1894, he's lost both his, his wife uh, and his great comrade in arms in, 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 in crime or detection in Sherlock Holmes. Uh, so he's a pretty traumatised and broken character. And so what we do is we join him in 1894 and London is seething with false reports and rumour. Uh, so there's a bit of a nod and a wink to where we are right now. I was about to say, that sounds yeah, right yeah. strange and contemporary. So there's, there's a little bit of a link towards that. And, um, and, we, and, and we reference a little bit of that. And then I just go straight into the story because what he wants to do is set the record straight. So he tells 
tells the story of uh, of the Mori of Moriarty and the spider's web of of, of crime in London and 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 because it, what's different about this story to other Holmes adventures is that this isn't a mystery, this isn't a a crime that gets resolved. It's an adventure. It's a journey. It's a journey across. And for any, as you know, as you're a great theatre maker, as you as you know, any any good piece of theatre, I mean really needs a journey a good journey is a gift you know and it's a journey across Europe pursued by the shadow that is Sherlock Holmes and that's another little angle that we were able to weave into the dialogue is this sense of a shadow the 1890s was a really interesting time in literature and philosophy and you've got uh, Jekyll and Hyde in the 1890s uh, you've got that, that sense of that dark cloud you know the development of the industrial age smog hanging over London this sense of some doom some gloom coming and at the same time you've got Freud developing his theories about the shadow self and duality and you've got Holmes who talks about Moriarty as being his mirror image he talks about you know that, that he understands him that he sees in him the man he could have become had he invested in crime. So, so very, very thematically, it's really interesting. Duality, shadow self, um, yeah, the combination of the two. So there's, there's a lot to think about within the piece beyond just the story. And there's a lot to think about in Watson. He's not the buffoon that he was played in the, in the films of the 30s and 40s. You know, it, um, and and, and they, they reference that a little bit in Sherlock with Martin Freeman and, and Benedict Cumberbatch and, and, and um, you know, the first episode where we saw him uh, saw Watson uh, effect, deeply affected by his Afghanistan experience, but then having dealt with it, they kind of left that to one side. Um, and, and I don't quite do that. <laughs> no, but it's a one, you're doing it by way of a one-man show, one-man performance. Sorry, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a one-man show. It's me storytelling, very like Shawshank. Me storytelling, telling the audience a, a cracking good tale. And it is a cracking good tale. It sounds fantastic. Oh, it's a shame I'm not going to be here to see it next week in Edinburgh. But as you say, it'll be out and about, presumably then, uh, touring... Yes, I hope so. I've got some. I'm very lucky that it's co-written with a chap called Bert Cools, who anybody who's into Sherlock Holmes will probably know of. He's the chap who wrote all the radio adaptations. When the BBC adapted all the 56 stories of of Sherlock Holmes in the 1990s, Bert Cools was the was the head writer, and they went so well. He actually went further and wrote some further stories of Sherlock Holmes. He's also wrote for Rebus and Cadfile and various other things. And when I had this great idea, we'll wait and see whether it's a great idea, but this, this idea of, of doing Watson, I thought, well, if I'm tackling something like that, I need an authority on board. Oh, so yeah. out of nowhere, poor Bert got accosted by this, by this wannabe performer saying, do you fancy helping me with it and bless him he, he he took up the baton and ran with it and he's been absolutely terrific and I didn't realise I went into rehearsal and I said well we're going to need somebody to do sound cues and he said well I, I think I might be able to do something with that you know <laughs> it turns out that before he was a writer he was a BBC sound engineer so of course he can oh, do that perfect. and I said well we probably need to get somebody in to, to direct it don't we Bert and he said well I, I think I might be able to help you with that <laughs> it turns out he was directing stuff at the BBC as well I, I really hadn't done my research Properly. You've got the complete package there. So I have got the complete package, and he's been fantastic. Yeah. I mean, and some of your other shows. I mean, we we performed in the same venue. I mean, yes. it was the Mengele show. That was quite. I used to see you at the end because we were on straight after you, and you always looked absolutely drained. 
Well, that was, yes, Mengele. That was the um, uh, a two-hander piece, imagining Mengele on the beach in which this is the doctor of Auschwitz, imagining him um, drowned as he did in 1979 and discovered on this beach in Brazil where uh, he meets a woman who he thinks has come to save him and she hasn't come to save him, she's come to collect him, but he doesn't see that. So what we do is we give him an opportunity for salvation, we give him an opportunity for redemption, we give him an opportunity to, to, to admit to, to what he did and... and um, uh, and atone in some way and he, of course he doesn't he completely refuses and, and, and talks very arrogantly about himself and his theories and in doing so echoes some of the rhetoric that we hear nowadays um, and the reason why that was so exhausting is because the final five or ten minutes is when she condemns him when she destroys him so I, well, I had to go through that process on stage and that was exhausting but it's also pretty exhausting taking on an issue as important as the Holocaust and uh, representing that character on stage and saying some of the really hateful things that he says is um, yeah I'm quite glad I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> How did it go down at the time? Were, were audiences sympathetic? Did they kind of get what you were trying to do I presume? Uh, 99 out of 100 yes um, and it was a, a sellout show so it did very well. Um, critically did very well. Uh, there was one person in particular who, who took exception to it, but I think that was probably because that person didn't quite understand where we were coming from. Um, maybe, uh, but everyone's entitled to their view. But, uh, but generally speaking, across the, the world, we went to Australia with it as well and, and uh, got fantastic notices and it, it, it sold very well, which was great. And the response... A, I don't want to bang on too much about it, but the response in America, we took it to New York for a Fringe Encore. We were very lucky to win a Fringe Encore at the Soho Playhouse in New York. And uh, the Jewish Post did an article or a review, which was very um, encouraging, should we say, uh, on, on the third day. And from there on in, the audience was of a certain demographic, uh, of a certain age. And um, they, were, they found the piece incredibly cathartic, um, a real emotional release, and, and were... Uh, hugely appreciative and, and, and looked after me very well. Yeah, that's kind of lovely, actually, isn't it? When you can do you can do that through through your performance. I can and tell you that pretty much every performance in New York, I ended up in tears. It was it was oh, it was <laughs> pretty humbling stuff. And you when you meet people and they say to you know when you meet someone that introduces you to a to a, to a Holocaust survivor um, uh, or or, or tells you a story about nursing their aunt who was a Holocaust survivor or you know I, I don't want to bore you but I got a lot of stories after that show and um, some of them were were yeah haunting and humbling and yeah good 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 to, to meet these people and, and to hear their stories yeah it's quite cathartic and I, I wonder as well if you don't mind me mentioning because you said you were ill I mean shell shock is about a, pre, a you know a person kind of dealing with stuff how, did that have a big effect on you without wishing to be too personal you yeah. said you'd had that skiing accident that, that must have been quite traumatic yeah, I, I, interesting I, I never really thought about it till I did shell shock I never really um, thought about the, 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 I, my father died in my A-level year uh, very suddenly which was a bit of a shock to everybody um, and then I had a girlfriend who was killed in a car accident just before my finals at university uh, which was which was pretty um, bizarre I mean people aren't meant to die when they're 21 um, it was a bit of a shock to everybody that one and um, and then yeah skiing accident in my final term at, at drama school I went skiing and uh, late season skiing in April just before I went into my last term at drama school thought that was a brilliant idea it was a fantastic idea and uh, came a cropper on a ski slope and spent three days asleep uh, in a very very deep sleep if you know what I mean and uh, 
you know, uh, eight months recovery after that was not what you want when you're starting your acting career. And I didn't really think about those three things, but they were probably pretty formative. Um, and uh, uh, they do come back to me from time to time. As, but when I'm you know, not alone in that. We've, uh, we've, we've all got stories to tell. We've all experienced trauma and stress and anxiety in our lives. And I think when my, my towards the end of my teaching career, I, 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 I really struggled. I was tired. I was exhausted. Anybody who's been a teacher knows that that, that that can be a pretty being a teacher can be a traditional but teaching a subject like drama for 17 years was was pretty exhausting and uh, i wasn't in a very good state when i left teaching and shell shot's been fantastic for me because it's it's been a kind of therapy to go through to understand the process that neil's been through and portray him on stage and that's what i mean about the bits that are great about shell shock is it, it might be military framed but it speaks to everybody yeah, absolutely. And it was a brilliant show. Well, Tim, Maria, thank you so much for your time. If anyone wants to know any more about what you're up to, have you got a website or is oh, there a link? Yeah, I have a website, uh, smokescreenprods.com. Uh, I don't know why it's prods. Maybe I couldn't spell productions. <laughs> but it's uh, smokescreenprods.com uh, and information about all the shows are on there. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Tim. Another fringe legend. Uh, that's all we've got time for, but thank you for uh, for listening. Uh, I'm Nick Hennigan. This is, uh, I keep having to say, yeah, bohemianbritain.com. Uh, also on the London Literary Pubcrawl.com uh, website. And, of course, on Tut Wireless, Residence 104.4 FM. <laughs>